Hello, and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson, and this is episode 9 of History on the Table. Alright, uh, we're back, and there's plenty plenty to talk about. Uh, just a few, few updates on just things going on around here. I have a shock mount now. Um, I, I didn't get the one I wanted. Uh, it just never came back in stock on Amazon, and I, I didn't want to try to track it down. Anyway, so I have one. It seems to be doing an okay job. Um, I last weekend we had an RPG session, and as I was going through the recording of that, I noticed a lot of feedback. Um, so, like during the podcast, I can get my hands off the table and do an okay job of preventing feedback. But during the RPG, I get all worked up and all kinds of feedback. So, uh, caved and finally bought one, even though I couldn't find the one I wanted. So the feedback issue should be resolved. Other other news, uh, our house is kind of destroyed right now. We're doing, we, we're, we have moved a bunch of furniture, um, getting the nursery ready and putting floors in a couple rooms. And so we have furniture everywhere and then some of the furniture we had to empty out like china and stuff out of, and that went on the kitchen table. So I'm really limited in tabletop space right now. So I haven't been playing much solo at all. Um, a couple nights ago, I did I did pull out one game we'll talk about later. And then our AC went out, and I didn't want the guys. So we did one room by ourselves. Um, the flooring and kind of the family room is being installed by someone else. Anyways, I didn't want the guys coming out during this massive heat waves without the AC. And so we replaced our AC, and everything's just uh, a mess right now, which uh, which is impacted gaming. So I, I look forward to getting our kitchen table back soon to get some stuff on the table that's about it as far as kind of updates on this end goes quite a bit of news i I think um a couple events i want to mention and i'll have a couple big announcements here as well Uh, so one thing i want to mention two events coming up immediately one the kansas city historical gaming group is august 11th at tabletop game and hobby in overland park we're gonna be playing phil eklund's High Frontier, the third edition. is. I know that game is going on. And then, of course, um, any historical board game is, is welcome to be played. Actually, it's an open game room, so any game is uh, welcome to be played. That is Sunday, August 11th, just during Tabletop Game and Hobby's normal hours. Okay, the week after that, on Saturday in St. Louis, is Game Day with the Designer with Mike Denson, and this is put on by the St. Louis Wargamers, uh, Rich Trapier of the Chance of Gaming podcast, another gentleman named Bruce, I believe, is involved with that group, and then Mitchell Land is involved, and they're bringing Mike Denson up to Miniature Market to do a game day for last hundred yards. And I'll be I'll be heading up. It's not too far a drive from Kansas City to St. Louis, and that'll be a that'll be a neat experience to sit down and play and discuss the new Last Hundred Yards, which is from that's the new tactical World War II game from GMT. Uh, if you're not familiar, so again that's Saturday, August seventeenth at Miniature Market. There's an event on Facebook if you want to find informa- information. And then there's a St. Louis Wargamers Guild on BGG with some information as well. And then if uh, I tweet it out, there's been some tweets and all that stuff. Should be a good time. Okay, uh, so the big announcement, or a big announcement, is we're happy to announce we're going to be doing Historic Fest Kansas City. And that's historic with uh, H-I-S-T-O-R-I-K-C. It's kind of the play on words, I guess. So we're going to be having a, this will be a three day war game festival with no vendors, minimal distractions, just all focused on playing war games for, for three days. And I guess kind of the, the, the comparison for more popular events would be something like dice tower retreat is, is how I envision this. Um, and so it's just going to be three days here in Kansas city. There's tons of cool stuff to do in Kansas City. Uh, if you've never been, the World War One Museum is here. It's fascinating. As long it's right next to the Liberty Memorial and across the street from Union Station. Anyway, so Kansas City is a pretty neat area to come to. This will be June 26th, 27th, and 28th of 2020. Uh, we're going to. This is our first year, so we're going to limit 
participation for this first year just to make sure everything runs smoothly and effectively. And we will we'll have some more information out soon. So right now it's near down between two venues and we're just working with both to see which one's going to be the better fit. We'll be deciding soon. At that point, we'll put the website out with registration information, um, you know, uh, uh, frequently asked questions, who to contact, all that stuff will be coming soon. But if you're interested in attending, I wanted to get the, the date announced so people can start putting it on their calendars. It looks like a good time frame as far as, you know, potential conflicts go. Consum World is a little earlier this year. WBC doesn't conflict. Dice Tower East is what the new name is. Will not conflict all of those things. And then there's a small convention in Kansas City called CantCon, which is later in July. And then, of course, next WarCon, this should not affect any plans that we have for next WarCon. The the goal, my goal, is to at least have uh, both and, and continue to do both. Okay, so again, that's Historic Fest Kansas City, June 26th through 28th, 2020. Um, so it's it's... I say Kansas City. It will be in Overland Park, which is like a suburb of, of Kansas City. Both venues are located there. So whichever venue we go to. And both venues have either are a hotel or have a hotel like adjoined by a walkway. Um, so there's going to be plenty of accommodations, food nearby both. They're both in nice locations, I think. Um, again, more details will follow. Okay. Uh, the other thing that I want to announce is... So... I, I'm, I'm launching a new segment and the plan is to do something like a quarterly or it'll be a regular, whatever it is, but just an interview special that I'm calling designers on the mic. And of course, designers will come on and they'll stump for whatever product they want to talk about, whatever they're working on. But my goal isn't to be just a, a question and answer about you know, that particular game, you know, what inspired you to put elephants in, into your game, you know, things, things like that. I, I want it to be a conversation. If you've ever listened to something like Sunday, sit down with Willie Geist. I, I like how that flows a lot more. So that's, that's the goal is just to sit down and have a conversation with people in the industry that I would want to listen to and hopefully topics you know, talking about topics that I would want to listen to uh, myself. So again, it's called Designers on the Mic. Uh, the first interview is lined up and will probably come out in October. And I, I'm calling it Designers on the Mic, but really it's open to, to anyone involved in, in the industry. It's just I wanted a catchy name for it. Okay, that's that's kind of it for my news, my announcements, and then events going on in the area. Um, there are a couple... couple there are a couple games that I thought were worth mentioning. Uh, first is there's a Kickstarter coming in late August for successors. Um, and so this is an ancient era war game from Mark Simonich and Richard Berg, who I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast has heard passed away recently. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. This is from Phalanx Games. And they're responsible, or they they put on the reprint of Hannibal and Hamilcar. I've not played that yet, but that's kind of hovering around the, the top of my to-get playlist. Of course, that's a Mark Simonich design. And so this seems to have a similar direction. I don't... Successors has been around for a long time. It's had, you know, two or three printings and versions already come out. I, I've not played it, though. Um... But with what Phalanx has teased so far, it seems like it'll be in this a similar style of Hannibal and Hamilcar. Uh, other big news, Hungarian Rhapsody is a new OCS title available for pre-order over on Multiman Publishing's website. It's something like 100 bucks. It's, it's a right around there. So this is a new OCS operational combat system. I've talked a little bit about that system with the Beyond the Rhine episode. I really like OCS. Um, it's easily one of my favorite systems. This is a Russian offensive into Hungary, and it's got something like 15 scenarios. And I think, if I read correctly, they're all two-map scenarios, and there's plenty of one-map scenarios in there. I don't, 
I honestly don't remember if there was anything bigger than the two mappers. Uh, again, so that's over for pre-order on Multiman Publishing. I don't know where that fits into their production schedule. Since they've already kind of put out their goals for 2019, I doubt we'll see it this year. Um, so I assume a 2020 release. Plus it has to get to their pre-order number anyways, and I don't think it's there yet. I think it was about 300 when I checked. Okay, that's it for, for news and updates. Uh, games on the shelf. So not a lot of stuff flowing in. I've got a ton of stuff to start playing. I did actually receive the rules and counters for the full BRL 1192, which I talked about last time. I was pretty impressed. The rules for that are... There's not really that many. Um, I think the rulebook was like 30 pages. And for a tactical system like ATS or ASL, that's not a lot. And so I, I look forward to diving into that. I'll probably get to that before I get to ATS, but who knows what happens. And then another, of course, because I don't have enough World War II tactical systems, um, I went ahead and grabbed last hundred yards um, so I could work with it before I head up to St. Louis and play that for a day. And really, that's about it. Some new RPGs and stuff came in, but that's um, not a whole lot of war games, which is fine. I've got... Um, I've been making a dent in that pile of shame, so I'd like to keep progressing in the right direction. Okay, uh, books. So, I've been... I started up Volume 3 of Shelbyfoot Civil War, and I'm just about done. And so I'll go ahead and talk about it now. I mean, I, we all know what happens. And I think I've talked about my critiques of Shelbyfoot's master work on the Civil War. It's It takes a Southern bias for sure, but what I love about it is it is just battle to battle to battle a story of the Civil War, and that's, that's what I appreciate. And In my eyes, it's a five-star, uh, five out of five, using a Goodreads rating, again, for whatever that's worth. Um, highly recommended. I do the audiobook, and I just break it up in chunks, and so we're winding down that book. The war is essentially over at this point. But that's, that's sprung an interest in the Overland campaign. And so I picked up a bunch of his first name's escaping me, but the last name's Rhea. And he is kind of the guy for the Overland campaign going from battle of wilderness all the way up to Petersburg. And so I picked up his whole work on that and I'll, I'll be, um, I'll be looking forward to that. I'm kind of on an Overland campaign kick right now. I was going to track down a copy of Great Campaigns of the American Civil War, Grant Tick's Command, but I did a little bit of research, and last February they announced that that is being worked on right now, and I think it's progressing pretty quickly, which is the good news. So hopefully we get some pre-orders for that soon. So it will be Grant Tick's Command and one other title, kind of like how Roads to Gettysburg compiled a few different GCACW titles into a modern version of all of them. So I will be all over that. Um, I'm, I've said it again and again, I really am enjoying great campaigns in the American civil war. And so I'd, I'd like to see the, uh, I'd like to play out the overland campaign in that system is what I'm trying to say. And the good news is it should be coming, uh, before too long. Um, so good. Uh, that's it. That's it. Reading wise, uh, for historical stuff. Uh, let's talk about what I've been playing before we get into our featured game this this episode. So the big thing is, of course, we had our Kansas City ASL or Kansas City Game Day. We also had an ASL Game Day. Uh, we had our Kansas City Historical Gaming Group Game Day, and if you listen to this episode, you know I was really looking forward to Line of Battle. So, gentlemen, uh, Jim and I sat down and we played to take Washington. He had played once before. Uh, he had played the None But Heroes game, which is in Tetum. And so he had a little bit more experience with the, the system. And so if you're not familiar, Line of Battle is a regimental Civil War series from Multiman Publishing and the Gamers. And it's kind of a reworking of past systems kind of updated and refined so it's like a refined version of the civil war brigade series if you've ever heard of that and the most recent game was to take washington which is jubal early's drive to 
as as Grant was putting the siege on Petersburg, Lee sent Early up through the Shenandoah to try to relieve some pressure by driving on Washington. And really, up to the point of Washington, before Early fell back, there was really only one meaningful engagement during the whole time, is my understanding, and that was at Monocacy. And so this game is Monocacy and Fort Stevens, and it's pretty interesting because um, we played a one-map scenario, just Monocacy. And I'll talk about that, but the full campaign game is my understanding is the Confederate player is committing troops and that kind of takes away from what they have. So they're committing troops during the Monocacy engagement and that seemingly takes away from what they have available for them at Fort Stevens. So historically, when early came up on Fort Stevens, they were just exhausted um, and they tried a demonstration but were ultimately repulsed the main the main action was at monocacy anyways so we played monocacy and the deal there is the confederate player rolls up and the union player is holding two bridges on the one map scenario and the confederate player is trying to get across and then inflict uh, enough damage to i think it's seven regiments on the union side and so I took the Union player, which was really helpful. Um, so how this game works, and I'm not going to do, I'm trying not to do a full review of this system because I, I need to see a lot more. Um, but you basically have to, how the heart of the game is this order system. And you have to write out and plan your orders to your brigade commanders. I believe it goes all the way down to brigade commanders. Um, certainly, I, I believe you're issuing two brigades. Anyways, it, it doesn't matter. You're, you're issuing orders to leaders and that's really what they can do. So if you order, um, if you order someone to draw a defensive line behind the works across the river like that, let's say that's an order I wrote, they're limited to that and they can adjust their line, but they can't really go on an offensive until they receive a new order to proceed forward. Or if they need to fall back across the river, um, you can retreat across, I believe, but there's some there's some limitations on, you know, the type of movements you can do until you get a new order. And that new order may be, you know, it can be adjusted by the, the quality of the leaders, time delays, how far away they are. And so all that stuff's worked in. So, you know, turns are 15-minute turns. And so it may be 45 minutes before the order gets there. And then the leader has to roll whether they receive it or not. And that's kind of the the meat of the game combat and movement. I, I enjoy they're pretty straightforward. And so this one map scenario, Monoxy as a union player and where my Confederate opponent had already had some experience. It was nice to take the union side to experience combat. One, you get some cavalry that are just kind of able to do whatever the heck you want to do with them. But then really you draw your defensive lines. And so as a union player, you're not super focused on, you know, writing these perfect orders and sending out orders all the time. I think as a union player on the one map monocacy, you can just focus on learning the basics of movement, combat. Um, there's two types of combat. You can charge and there's fire combat. From my perspective, going into it, the monocacy one mapper, although not super interesting from like a game victory condition, again, the Confederates are just trying to get across the bridge and they will. And then inflict enough damage to, I think it's seven regiments. Um, so there's no like capture this fort or anything like that. It's pretty just straightforward. But I think it's a great scenario for learning the system. Um, the goal is while this is still fresh in my head to get it back on the table and do the, the full campaign. So, and that's where you get into the committing troops. If they're committed at, Monocacy it impacts the battle at Fort Stevens somehow. I'm not. I'm not really quite sure. And then you get into it's just a more robust, um, full game. I think if you uh, if you do everything. But it was a it was a nice way to get into the series. I will say for sure. I was really happy with everything. I like the fire combat and the charge combat. Basic movements fine. I get all that. But there's movement for like when you come onto the map and. 
and the order system I really need to play with some more to to get a better judgment on it but I like what I see so far I will tell you this um, I'm a lot more excited to play great campaigns of the American Civil War right now than I am line of battle but I still think line of battle is great and I think it's going to offer a great if I put the work in it'll be a nice reward um, but I think it just takes a little bit more work, which that's fine. So I tried to track down some books and there was plenty of books on early as biographies. And then there was plenty. So my, at my local library, I can pull from both Johnson County library and the Kansas city, Missouri library. Um, and both have a great amount of books. Most of the campaign stuff was post where early's in the Shenandoah. So kind of immediately following this, the rule book for the series recommends cooling. And he wrote several books on this particular Monocacy, Fort Stevens, Jubal Orly driving up to, to try to relieve pressure on Richmond and Petersburg. But I, my local library didn't have them. And I don't, I don't know if there's enough interest in this particular engagement for me to track down a bunch of books. Anyway, so I will just recommend what the designer recommended, which was is the author's name's Cooling. If you go look up the game-specific rules, um, the bibliography is in the back. And he has, um, I don't know if Dean Essig provided the commentary on the books or someone else working on the design. I don't know who made those recommendations, but they provide some nice feedback of, you know, why, why this book should be read over this book, that, that type of thing. I really appreciate when games have that in the back, you know, go check, check out this, this book. I think it's a nice touch and I think it shows a nice interest in the, the engagement. To me, it shows there's something they're passionate about what they're putting on the table, but or not. Maybe they never even read the books. I don't know. But I do appreciate it from a game player perspective. Okay, so that's Line of Battle. I, I do really like it. I don't want you to be discouraged by the great campaigns comment I made. I really do like the system. It's just I think it takes a little bit more work to really get it down. But when you do, I think it'll really pay off. I will also add, I think this is perfect for multiplayer games just based off the order system and also to break up stuff you know monocacy there's really not a whole lot of union troops on the map the confederates get a lot i think it would be nice and play really smoothly with just breaking up leaders and then just kind of having one overall commander to write the orders i think that would be a neat experience and i know the guys over at aac at two donkey cons ago they played a big line of battle game and uh, that'd be a neat experience. Okay. Um, so I also finally sat down to play Paths of Glory, which is a classic, right? It's a card-driven game. If you're not by Ted Racier covering World War One, if you're not familiar, it's a very popular um, war game. It, it kind of, you know, it gets thrown around as like essential beginner games, all of those things. Um the mechanics of the game are pretty straightforward. It's a card-driven game. And if you're not familiar, card-driven game, you can play a card for the written event, which will tell you to do stuff, or it'll have a number where you can do certain, it'll give you op points. So it'll allow you to conduct offensives or do different things, you know, build entrenchments, that type of thing. Um, where the game gets its complication, I think, is in all the case rules. There's a lot of little rules, but... Overall, I was really impressed. The game is really tight. Um, there are interesting decisions to be made, and it feels like a war game. Sometimes when I play a card-driven game, you know, like Twilight Struggle or Coin, which isn't card-driven. It's not card-driven in the same sense as um, something like Washington's War is. Um, but... Sometimes the decisions I make I don't find interesting and it doesn't feel like a war game. And you know, there's an arg there's an argument that Twilight Struggle is not even a war game, and I I don't really care whether it is or isn't. I think that's a silly argument to make. Who really cares? It's a it's a good historical game. Um, anyways, I'm kind of going on a, a rant here, but I was hesitant for Paths of Glory based off past experience with card driven games because they really haven't done a whole lot for me. Washington's War just didn't click for me. 
I don't there again there were some interesting decisions but I wanted I wanted to go to battle I wanted to go to war and that's not really what what Washington's war is about it's much more about this political manipulation of these markers across the map and I get it that's that's some people's cup of tea I think it's well designed but it didn't click for me so Paths of Glory feels like a war game. I'm going to war with these armies, and so I really appreciate that. And I I think the events that you can play are interesting, and they present a tough challenge between I I really I really want to launch this offensive over in France, but I need to address the issue in the East Front and and all this. So you're you're constantly balancing fronts, and uh, oh yeah, this event is really attractive. But you know, it gives me four op points if I don't if I don't play it for the event. All of that stuff is really interesting, and I think we have a good game going. I'm playing that face to face here with a buddy Zach, um, and he's got it set up in his basement. Hopefully, we keep it going. I really like what I see, and I understand why that holds up as a classic. It's pretty dang good. Okay, uh, so Anthony and I have been playing our Operation Pegasus game. I've tweeted some pictures of that. We have a pretty steady pace going. I think we have about one more game left in us before the the game is over. So again, Operation Pegasus is that you know forty year old war game covering the siege of Quezon. Uh It's good. It's got a really nice skeleton. I would love to see some kind of update on. There's not a whole lot of Quezon games out there. I haven't been able to find many. So it'd be really cool to see this updated either a fresh take on the whole battle or someone taking the skeletons and working with this system because operation Pegasus again has that cool ambush mechanic of the hidden Vietnam troops and how they, how they pop out and fire. Um, been playing a few RPGs. We launched a one shot for fear itself, which uses the gumshoe system. And we're kind of doing that. The setting there is there's two, two friends are back visiting their high school friends, lake house and, you know, dark and creepy things are going on. I'm GMing that one, and that's been, it's going pretty good. We have, it's going to be about a two-part session. The other thing is we just fired up uh, Legacy Life Among the Runes, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse system, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and I'll, I'll not spend a whole lot of time on this. It's a post-apocalyptic setting, but not only are you playing characters, you also role-play as these families. And so, for example, my family is this band of um, kind of pictured like a string of coastal main islands that have banded together post-apocalyptic to survive on their kind of secluded islands. And they thrive with their boats and fishing and all that stuff. And then so you make these decisions as a as a family or a clan or a population or whatever and then there may be scenes where you zoom into a character level and that character is somehow tied in with your family and that's that's pretty interesting we're we're just getting rolling on that we haven't actually played yet we had a a zero session and that should be interesting uh, a couple other things KCASL game day i played a scenario from armies of oblivion which is um the Axis Miner set, I believe. Um, the scenario itself is called Subterranean Quarry. And this, I was told, is kind of the official, unofficial initiation scenario for the Kansas City ASL group. Um, and it's pretty interesting, worth worth mentioning at least. So it's Romanians, which use German counters versus the Partisans. And the whole fight, there's an above-ground area which really doesn't get used. Everything else really takes place below ground. And so you're basically fighting in the tunnels of this quarry. And it's a nice transition scenario, I thought, going from starter kit to full ASL. Because a lot of the rules are taken out. It's kind of like a next step scenario. But even then, I think if you're playing full ASL, it by itself is an interesting uh, game. So typically in ASL, your units have a range, let's say four hexes or whatever, right? Well, in subtraining quarry, you can only fire into adjacent hexes. You can only see into adjacent hexes. So you're constantly dealing with these, um, um, these markers that are hidden, some kind of cover. I don't, I don't remember what the actual name is. It's the question mark in ASL that are placed on these markers, um, which is a modifier against them, and you don't really know where troops are. And so the, I played the Romanians who were in there trying to take out the partisans. 
and you're just going hex by hex, just brutal. A lot of melee combat. You have flamethrowers, and it's it's a really unique scenario to what I've seen from ASL because it's just upfront grind, and you just have to grind it out. You know, run into the hex. Are there units there? Is it a decoy, a dummy counter, or surprise? It's combat. And so our, our game came down to, and the other thing is it's, it's randomized setup for the partisans. So they, they get a certain amount of troops and it may be, they roll some dice and then they may have more dummy counters than troops. You don't really know for sure. And also they set up barricades at two different locations to kind of close the tunnels there. And you don't know until you try to enter that hex. And so our game came down to, if you picture like a Y, um, an upside down Y, my, my Romanians were coming down from the top. So the straight part and the Y part were two hexes that were backed up against the barricades. Basically it came down to a crazy turn where I was charging guys forwards with flamethrowers, just trying to get them to survive in this last hex to hope that they could torch these guys in these last two hexes. That's all. All I had to do was clear those last two hexes. And I think we both spawned heroes and like some guys went fanatic and, and all this stuff was going on. It was just a great ending. I, I did not clear the hexes. My guys could not um, get a good order flamethrower unit up there. I did, I did end up with one half squad or maybe it was a squad who was able to pick up the flamethrower, but it didn't go well. Um, not enough to win. So that was a really neat scenario. I, I highly, highly recommend it, whether you are a starter kit player looking to transition from starter kit to full ASL or if you're a full, full ASL player, I think it's a very unique scenario. Uh, check it out. Again, that's Subterranean Quarry, and that's from the Armies of Oblivion set. Okay, the last game I'll talk about before we get to the big deal. I set up so again, I've been interested in this, the Overland campaign, which is really, if you're unfamiliar, that's when Grant kind of takes command of the whole army. Um, or, or that is when Grant takes command of the whole army and they, uh, he drives on, on Richmond. And so they cross and what kind of goes on for the next, I don't know, month, whatever is Grant and Lee just kind of keep pivoting, uh, you know, try to go around and really, Grant kind of gets his ass kicked. Um, a lot of heavy casualties, and ultimately it leads to Cold Harbor, and then finally it leads to the Siege of Petersburg. Um, and so with this interest, I finally pulled off from my shelf a Michael Ranella area impulse game called Not War But Murder. And so if you've... If you've been around BGG and you've seen Judd Vance recommendations or any of his geek lists, he really likes Michael Ranella area impulse games. So I bought a few of them based off his recommendations when I first got into the hobby. And I played Operation Battleaxe, which is an area impulse game for World War II in Africa, right? And that was pretty good. I really liked it. It's been a while since I played it. Um, so I pulled, anyways, I pulled off Not War, I pulled down Not War But Murder, which is area impulse for Cold Harbor. Um, and the rules are about six pages. So I pulled it down in one night, got it clipped, got it set up and started playing and got through a few turns just in one night. And then, uh, you know, stuck with it and it's a pretty interesting game. So it's not true area impulse. So typically with area impulses, um, there's all these areas across the map and let's say area number six, you activate that area. So every troop in that unit or every counter in that area, excuse me, every counter in that area is activated for movement or combat or entrenching or that type of thing. It depends on the game. Um, and that's area impulse. Not war, but murder is a little bit different because it's not true area impulse. It's really leader impulse. And so and when you activate an area, you can either... Uh, so let me get my handy rules here to make sure I don't screw this up. You may, when you do it... So you could command an area to like entrench and do some minor things, but the assault impulse is the main mean of the game. And so that's where you're activating them to move and or attack. They can move and attack or attack. And Anyways, you can activate your army leader. So in this game, it's Grant or Lee. And they can activate an entire area and all the leaders and in that area. And so like you could activate two core leaders in one area. 
or you can activate a core leader where they can activate the units of his core and in any independence or you can activate just a unit and so the case may be where you're only activating half of an area as opposed to everything it's pretty interesting um the game itself is i think it's hard to play solo um because you can always you can look at the stacks and all that stuff but like i know the strategy i'm going for on both sides and so what's interesting here is both um the confederates are dug in below the North Anna river and the union either has to try to break through or outflank the Confederates and try to cross the North Anna and South Anna at different, different spots to try to drive on Richmond. And their, their ultimate goal is to either go to Richmond or capture enough victory point areas throughout the map, all of which are on the other side of the river. Right. And so I like the game, but it's, it's hard to trick myself. Like, Oh, okay. I'm sending Burnside around. Like I know what I'm trying to shoot for here. Um, but it, so it, it solos. Okay. But that's just me. I, if you're better at managing that, it may work for you. Anyways, um, combat's okay. It's kind of a, just count everything up and roll two dice. And there's a few modifiers. I like more involved combat. If you haven't picked that up from past episodes. Um, but I would like to play it opposed Cause I think that would, um, and it's really straightforward. Uh, the rules need some, the rules aren't super clear in my opinion. Um, but I think if you played any of the other area impulse games, you'd be okay. The Ranella games, or if you played some with someone who knew the system, you'd be just fine. It's really kind of straightforward. Uh, and so you're just activating these areas moving around the map. And if you run into an enemy area, you have mandatory combat. And then whatever the dis the difference is between the combat strength and the die roll you make so you total up your combat strength and you roll two dice that's your attack value defender does the same thing and again you may add or subtract for entrenchments or whatever anyways whatever the difference is if the attack is successful the defender has to basically take losses either through retreats or making units exhausted and all that and so uh pretty straightforward it's an interesting game though for whatever it's worth, that's not war, but murder. It's an old magazine game. And so I did not, I've not read the Cold Harbor article in that magazine yet, but it does, the article does cite Rhea, those books I was talking about on the Overland campaign, like just throughout. So I may give it a, a quick look over uh, when I get the time, but the game itself is pretty good. I think it could be tracked down for pretty cheap. I'm assuming it's not in like stock it is a against the odds publication pretty good i uh i like it okay uh let's talk about the the big feature game so again i i do want to mention real quick if you had heard richard berg uh passed away i i understand unexpectedly i don't think this was something people knew about but maybe not i did not know richard berg it seems like a lot of people in the industry had great relationships with him i did not and i don't have a whole lot of experience with his games but i thought it was appropriate to i've been playing genesis some but our game's been postponed so i'm not i'm not going to talk about genesis which he designed but i have been playing spqr quite a bit which is a great battles of history game which richard berg and mark herman designed um, it's actually the second game in the great battles of history series and so what i thought to do again i i don't i didn't know Mr. Berg at all, but I thought it would just be appropriate to, this would be a good time to talk about SPQR. Um, so SPQR is a game set in the Roman Republic, just after 300 BC to 100 BC, a bunch of battles in that range. And I mean a bunch of battles. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 battles in this game. And there are a ton of maps and a ton of counter sheets. Um, I will say real quick, I really like the counter art in this game. The maps themselves, for the most part, are pretty bland just because you're fighting out on a, a plane or whatever. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I will say real quick, I like the counter art. I don't know if that's how the counter art... So I am looking at the, the recent reprinting spqr deluxe edition that just came out from gmt all the counters look great um you know you have little 
legionnaires or little sling guys or elephants or phalanxes, all this stuff, um, the counters add a nice flavor. It's not just like an infantry symbol or something like that. Anyways, so the box is just full of stuff. Lots of maps, lots of scenarios. I have been learning the game, and I think I mentioned this last time. What's funny is I always think I'm not going to like it, and then I start playing, and it's like, oh yeah, this game's really good. And so let's talk about kind of how the game works, and then I'll, I'll elaborate on that. Um, so if we're just talking about the game sequence of play itself is you have a various you have various leaders across the battlefield and you have an overall commander and then you have all these um, sub leaders and the Romans have all these special rules for how they activate leaders but we don't really need to go into details just know that the Romans have specific rules on what leaders can who leaders can activate and then the Carthaginians really don't have that so I've played two Carthaginian games so far they don't really have that structure. Anyways, so you have all these leaders and they, they activate um, an increasing effectiveness. And when you activate a leader, you can issue either a certain amount of commands up to their command rating, I believe, is what it's called. So like if there are three, they can issue three orders to three different troops. Or if you're efficient with your planning and you're within range of your overall commander, you can activate a line command. So for most cases, this can be different between the battles. If all of your units are in a line in the same hex row, you can activate all of those troops to you know march forward as a line. Um, usually at the beginning of the game, you can always do that and you know, your lines are nice and neat. People who are much better at this game will maintain those lines. So far, I've just kind of been charging forward, and my opponent, uh, Jason, he's been he's a lot better at, at doing that, and I'm still kind of learning. Anyway, so you can either give a line command or you can give these individual commands to your leaders. And then you move, and you, you may have some ranged attacks, you know, firing your slings, and then you have combat. And then you just kind of go back and forth activating these leaders, and you may... What's what makes the whole back and forth interesting is you can roll to maintain momentum with that leader, um, so they get another activation. But if you if that roll doesn't go the way you want, you know some bad things can happen. It's called like the die roll of doom, and then your opponent can trump in with a leader with a higher effective rating, and when they successfully trump in, that they go first. Or they go next immediately, so they bump in front of line of everyone. And then everyone else is marked. They no longer get momentum um, for the rest of that turn. And so that can really change the flow of battle and really give the advantage to the underdog in the fights. You know, if you trump at the right time and kind of interrupt the flow of leader activation, you can really do some cool stuff. Um, or at least, you know, swing the battle in your favor. So after you do all these activations, um, once everyone is finished, once all leaders have activated, then you kind of have a route phase. And you just, you keep going. There's no, so in the battles I've played, there's no time limit. You are just trying to reach a, if you have eliminated enough combat units to reach the route point limit, then the game will end. And so you're just maneuvering around these battlefields until you reach that limit. And one particular aspect of the game I really like is the combat resolution. Again, so I really like involved combat resolutions. And so you kind of go through, the first thing you do is you, you look at the units. So let's say you have heavy infantry and I've got some medium infantry. And you, you go down this chart to see if either side has superiority chart based off the type of units. And that will basically double the hits that the side with superiority inflicts and then you can also so then once you have that you go okay you look at where the attack is coming from their front flank rear and you compare the troops again so again heavy infantry against medium infantry and that tells you the column you roll for on the results table so just for example heavy infantry against medium infantry there's no superiority for either side Okay, so then we go over to the Clash of Spears and Swords chart. And let's say I'm going head on. So I look at the front 
and heavy infantry on medium infantry is an 8. So I'd be rolling on the 8 column. It's 1 to 13. And then you may shift that column. There's not a whole lot of shifts. Um, just a handful. The most common one is size. So let's say I outnumber my opponent 2 to 1. I would shift 1 to the right. I'm on the 9. We roll dice. And that tells us how many hits. Um, now, you can do some interesting things by coming in from the flank or coming in from the rear and really doing some damage. But that's the basics of combat, and I really like that system. I find that the most interesting part of this game. There are some, there's a lot of cool historical flavor in this game. One, just the variety of troops you have in the different kind of nationality involved. And of course, um, elephants are in this game. And elephants just kind of roll up and just cause a shit ton of chaos, and then they once they've taken enough hits they just kind of go away they're not worth a ton of points they really just kind of are there to mess things up to start and they're just kind of chaotic uh phalanxes are pretty cool they're kind of double wide units so each unit usually takes up one hex but phalanxes are a two hex unit and they're they move a lot differently they also have they're a pain in the ass to get them to route um but if they don't rally so once a unit has routed, um, you can rally them with a leader and they'll come back with a certain amount of effectiveness. Most units, if you don't rally them, will just proceed to the rear and eventually will run off the map and that's when they're worth points. Phalanxes cannot route. So if you don't rally them in time, that's a shit ton of points for your opponent. And so a ton of historical flavor and there's all kinds of... Um, like specific rules for each battle. Um, like there's, I think there's some like, we're, we're in the middle of a plains of Zama and there's, there's some kind of rule with like the elephant horns or something like that. If you, if you go over to YouTube, Kyle Seeley was talking about, I don't know if he was talking about SPQR, great battles of Alexander. He was doing one of the games and his, his rule was like the flaming pig rule. Um, and his whole point was, that's a great, I don't know these things about Richard Berg, right? But he said that's kind of what Richard Berg was known for. Uh, go check out the video. But, you know, that's just some of that historical flavor, historical chrome added on. And there's a ton of that um, added into this game and into each scenario. Okay. So what do, I, what do I think about the game? I don't know a whole lot about Ancients' military history especially. So when you say Plains of Zama, I really don't know a whole lot. Um, you know, I can I can recognize a couple leaders like Hannibal, right? Okay, that's that's a name that rings a bell. But I don't really get excited for, you know, the Battle of... I'm just looking at the back here. Okay, so we talked about Zama, right? That doesn't mean anything really for me or Beneventum. Um... I don't know the history there, so it's hard to get excited and enthusiastic about the battle. So that that is a subjective thing that kind of hinders this game for me. I think if you really liked ancient battle history, there's a ton of stuff in here. So you could probably find a battle that interests you. Ancient's tactical combat isn't my cup of tea, but it's rewarding to see it play out. Uh, so what do I mean by that? Um... If we look at something like Commands and Colors Ancients, which I think is a great game, I think it's a great entry in the Commands and Colors system um, designed by Richard Borg, not Richard Berg, um, but it's pretty straightforward. Um, you just kind of run in and attack each other and run out. SPQR really gets the tat like super zoomed in. And if you're good at the system, I think if you put the work into the system, you're going to get a lot in return. And so knowing how to, okay, this light infantry is worthless, but you can use them to your advantage. You can send them in to really tie up the unit and then outflank with something else that's going to get some kind of advantage for attacking on the flank. And so understanding the ancients tactics and executing them well has a high payoff. It's just not my cup of tea. And so it's, hard to get excited about that and that's my point um we played a couple fridays ago we did a session work through a turn um 
and all day I was like hmm I've got a lot going on maybe I should cancel that type of thing but as soon as I start playing I, I get excited and I see it play out and so part of the knocks against this game are just my subjective interest in this area of history and in this type of battle but the system as a whole is super well designed and they've gone they have the advantage of going through four this is the fourth edition i think this most recent printing of spqr deluxe so they have that advantage going for them it's just like ocs right the ocs is on version is it four of the rules and so when you've gone through several revi revisions it pays off um the rule book is okay there's a lot of extra stuff in there to get caught up on just for example if you don't know and i'm gonna i have to look up the name here if you don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to think of what to say here like the certain types of what shit this is gonna drive me nuts the ro the different types of roman one names for units and types of leaders it's easy to get caught up on that stuff in the rules um, here you go, something in like Tribunes or Prefectus Secorium or Prefectus Equitum. They all act differently, and it's that's kind of hard to keep track of when you have names like that. Um, so when you're new to the system, I wouldn't start with the Romans. I didn't. In the Carthaginians, you just have a, a bunch of guys with different names. Um, and usually they can just command who's ever within the, their range, and so I would start there. I would also say that the rule book. The meat of the gameplay is in the back half of the rulebook. Combat resolution, and maybe this is just me, combat resolution and movement and how to outflank enemies, that's where you really get the payoff of this game. But the first kind of first half of the rulebook is where I focus my attention. And again, that's, that was me getting caught up on the leadership and how leadership worked. Leadership's an important part of this game, but the real gameplay is moving your troops and stuff. And I think that should be the focus. I guess what I'm trying to say is, and I guess that's not a knock against the rulebook. I guess it's just my personal fault for getting too caught up on nitty gritty rules and not paying attention to the meat of the game. And I think part of that was I just thought the leadership would be more of a concern. And it, it really wasn't. Um, there is a lot of stuff here and there are a lot of, kind of rules and, and subcases and stuff. Just like with any other war game, I think of this complexity when this much meat is, you know, get get your hands on a set of the rules, go through them, understand the basic working of the game, and hopefully you can find someone to play with that really knows the system. And if you like it, I think this system has a huge payoff if this is your cup of tea. One, I don't know of a whole lot of other ancient tactical games other than something like Commands and Colors Ancients. But Commands and Colors Ancients won't, in my opinion, will never have the same payoff that SPQR does. Um, now, the nice thing here is, and they're different, once you have SPQR down, I think there's going to be a lot of similarities through the other, you know, 13, 12 great battles of history games at least a framework and at this point i'm just kind of rambling about the game i'm trying to think of anything that i'm not thinking of um the spqr deluxe box if this is something that interests you is super worth the money i think it's like retailed was 60 something dollars when it first came out i don't remember what the p500 price was but there is so much stuff packed into this box. And so if you want to put in the work, and I think this game takes work. It, it really does. I don't think it's a, it is not the game to sit down with two people who don't know the system and really don't know the rules to bash your head over. I think it either takes work and getting the rules down beforehand or playing with someone who knows it. Anyways, um, it's definitely worth the price of admission in, in my opinion really just based off the amount of content in there and the game is good itself it gets you know deducted some points for me just just by the base of you know the basic combat the battles i've played so far you're just on a wide open plane right a wide open field and just kind of charging at each other which isn't the most exciting to me 
Um, and then again, a, a, an area of history that I don't, I find ancient super interesting. I just haven't experienced the military side of it very much at all. Uh, you know, other than, you know, popular movies. And typically I, I try to do some recommended reading, um, because I, I like that aspect of war gaming, you know, understanding the historical significance and then playing the game. But really, I don't have a basis to... Anyways, I have a book upstairs that I plan on getting to eventually, but I can't remember the title right now. Anyways, so it loses some points for that um, when when we're looking at the list. But again, I think it's a super well-designed game. And if this interests you at all with the understanding that it takes some work to really see the payoff from this game, and I think, you know, with the guy I was playing with, he's telling me he's playing with guys that are just masterful at keeping their leaders always in range, you know, maximum efficiency, always issuing line commands, just super efficient at the game. I think you can get to that level and really get a solid appreciation for uh, for this system. Okay, so I have a lot to learn in this system, but I, I feel like I've seen enough to find a spot for it somewhere on the ranking of definitive the every war game ever list so if you're unfamiliar if this is your first time listening to the podcast first off welcome thanks for listening what we do is we have a completely objective ranking of every single war game ever made as ranked by me so super fair super unbiased all that stuff and we've ranked nine games so far so this will be game number 10 i'm not going to go through the whole list um i consider this so last episode we ranked angola which came in at number six just below mark Simonich's normandy 44 um and i think those are comparable games normandy 44 and spqr kind of just one or two things holding them back both super well-designed games i definitely think spqr is a better designed game than angola again i really enjoyed angola but i think spqr has more return for your work investment put in for sure i think you're going to see a better return on investment than you see with angola i think angola becomes a really big slog later on and you really don't see anything new um i think SPQR will offer a lot of variety. Man, this is tough. They're almost dead even. Normandy 44 and SPQR in my eyes. Um, I think I think I'm going to give the nod to Normandy 44 just so we don't sit here and waver back and forth all day. Um, my really own complaint with Normandy 44 is the lack of variety in combat just based off the so I both find the terrain benefits in Normandy 44 super interesting, but they also, in my eyes, affect combat where most combats are going to end up on a 2-to-1 or 3-to-1 scale. Um, but to get there, you have to maneuver, right? So it's not really a bad thing. It's just that was my one big complaint, right? Um, and if you want, you can go back and listen to episode 5 of History on the Table. That was April's episode when I went into a lot more detail about Normandy 44. Um SPQR's biggest problem is the blandness. Not the art, not the combat results or anything like that. Just the combat type itself, to me, isn't as exciting. Just seeing a bunch of guys in a line on a field just doesn't do it for me. And so so with that, SPQR will take in the number six spot, shifting everything else down coming in right behind Normandy 44, followed by Angola. Okay, that is going to do it. If you want to see a full list of every war game ever list and a full description of what we're doing with that list, it's on BGG. There will be a link in the description below. You can find all the games we've talked about and ranked on that list before. SPQR. So even with all that rambling, the short is it's a hell of a game. It's going to take some work, but it's going to pay off. And uh, it's worth every penny just by the sheer amount of stuff you get in the box. Okay, uh, so that's going to that's gonna be it for game discussion. We'll wrap up with some listener mail here. Uh, Oscar wrote in, and Oscar wrote in, said he's a big fan. Appreciate that. Thank you, Oscar. He's been dabbling in some ASL. 
so that's great. Keep that up. Um, and then he said he also has been playing great campaigns of the American Civil War. Started with a solo game of South Mountain. Yeah, I think South Mountain was my first game as well. Um, if not, was it South Mountain? Maybe it wasn't South Mountain. Whatever. Um, yeah, and I agree. It's a hell of a system. I, I can't wait to play it more. Oh, he says he's tracked down a copy of U.S. Civil War. Yeah, definitely try that. That is the best game ever made. And so he has recommended a few games to consider for the every war game li- ever list. Uh, so the first one he recommends is Avalon Hill's Battle Cry, which is the Civil War game from Commands and Colors. This reminds me, I did get a copy of the Hold the Line American Civil War game. Um, to me, it sounds like there's enough difference between Commands and Colors and Hold the Line, and Hold the Line maybe offer a little bit more in terms of complexity, because I know that Battle Cry, if you're looking at the Commands and Colors scale of complexity in Chrome, I think Battle Cry is on the simpler side, which isn't a bad thing by any means, but Commands and Colors Ancients, with its levels of complexity in Chrome, like, blows... I'll play Memoir any day with my wife still, um, but Ancients is a in my opinion, a much better game. Um, so I'll be interested to try out line of battle. I'm sorry, hold the line, um, to see the differences between the system. Although I look through the rule book, it seems pretty straightforward. We'll see if it offers anything anyways. Yeah. I'd love to try battle cry someday. I think I've just held off on buying a copy for that exact reason. I have memoir 44. I have commands and colors ancients. I, and then now I have the, the space one. I would love to play the Civil War battles, but I want something with a little more chrome. Uh, Brave Little Belgium. So I briefly talked about Brave Little Belgium. I just need to play it more. Um, I thought it was a really great introduction game. Plays, it's so light and quick. It's a great game to kind of pack away for a convention just to kill time. Um, Before I go into a whole lot of detail about it, I just need to play it more because I've only played it solo, so I'm reluctant to you know, dump it on the list without playing it opposed. Uh, Compass Games Lamps are going out. I'm not familiar with that one. I don't do a ton of World War One games, but I'll look into it. And I'll at least look it over. Time of Crisis by GMT. I am saving this one for my plan is to do Genesis and Time of Crisis at the same time. I understand they're completely different time periods. They're completely different games, but geography, you know, geographically speaking, they're the same area. I think mechanically, Time of Crisis is a great game. Doesn't work for me. I'll talk about that more when I finally talk about Time of Crisis. I will play it. I will gladly play it. I think, and it plays pretty quick. You know, it really snowballs. Kind of with a lot of deck building games is once you get going. So if you're not familiar, Time of Crisis is a deck building war game from GMT. Um, and... It works. It works really well, uh, but I have some just personal major complaints with it. Um, so great game if it's your cup of tea. And I'll, like I said, I'm going to save that for when I finally get Genesis ranked on this list. Okay, thank you for the, uh, he says roll low or high or whatever. Um, yeah, I guess it just depends on the game we're playing. Thank you for the email, Oscar. I really appreciate it. If you have a suggestion for the reward game, and I guess I should say I... Brave Little Belgium will end up on the list at some point. So will Time of Crisis. Battlecry, if I ever get a chance to play it. Yeah, sure. The Commands and Colors games should end up on this list. I should probably start talking about them at some point. Um, Lamps are going out. I'll, I'll look into it some more. Okay, if you have questions, comments, concerns, whatever. If you have a game that I should check out for the Every War Game Ever list. Feel free to shoot me an email. Reach out on Twitter. Instagram your preferred method of choice email is history table podcast at gmail.com history table podcast at gmail.com twitter is at history table pod that's probably the best spot to reach me or email that's at history table pod again june 26 27th 28th 2020 kansas city i hope to see you there more details will follow on twitter and future episodes and uh, we should have a we have a website in the works right now. Just getting it finalized. I'm reluctant to really put anything out there until the venue is solid. 
Uh, again, we're just picking between two. I'm not worried we won't find one or anything like that. It's just finding the best fit. So save the date. I hope you see there. Space will be limited, but again, it should just be a great time of three days of wargaming. All right, that's going to do it for me. I will be back, and then I will also be back with uh, with an interview with uh, our first designer for Designers on the Mic. Okay, and if you're going to St. Louis, uh, I hope to see you there. Don't forget about that. August 17th, St. Louis, last 100 yards at uh, Miniature Market. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye.